So welcome and um, I'm so thrilled today to be able to introduce you to um, a very dear and long-standing friend of mine who's also an expert in the area that we're going to talk about. So welcome to Leonie Ash who has agreed to join us today and um, Leonie is a functional medicine practitioner and she's also certified with the Institute for Functional Medicine. She's been a nutritional therapist since the mid 90s and has a wealth of experience when it comes to um, um, all things diet and lifestyle. But um, she's particularly specializing in stress and trauma. And um, a little bit like me, her journey has taken her through many different modalities and disciplines. And she's focusing a lot now on human givens, which is a biopsychosocial approach to counseling and psychotherapy. And as we go on and talk today, you'll hear a little bit more about human givens and why it's so special. But um, Leonie's own experience, again, a little bit like me, um, stems from her own journey of early childhood trauma. And um, that's the reason why we're talking today. So um, two weeks ago, we released, um, <clears throat> we released a video on brain inflammation and what to do about it naturally. If you haven't managed to see that video yet, you can find it on our YouTube channel, or you can find it um, in the video section of our website. But um, I wanted to really delve a little bit deeper into trauma and stress, given what everyone is going through at the moment. The last five months have been pretty challenging for just about everyone globally. We are, we've entered a, a, a time in the world that I don't think any of us a few months ago thought we would ever see in our lifetimes. And the knock-on effect um, is having a, a deep impact, not just the fear about what's happening and fear of the future and fear of your health, but um, we can see that suicide rates are going up, um, mental health difficulties are massively on the increase, people are struggling financially, um, rates of domestic violence, um, and rates of alcoholism are all shooting through the roof. And these are going to have very, very long lasting impacts, far longer lasting than the pandemic. So, Leonie, please, can we dive in today and start actually having a look at stress and trauma and what those kind of impacts look like? But I think, first off, if we just set the scene, um, can you tell us what early life trauma actually is and then you, you see this term bandied about a lot called ACEs which are um, adverse childhood experiences but over to you perhaps you could give us a little bit more detail. Okay thanks Mel. Um, yes the ACE um, study it was the first large study of 13,000 um, adults of the age of um, over 18 um, to explore the relationship of health risk behaviour and disease, where different categories of adverse childhood experiences were studied. They looked at things like the psychological, physical and sexual abuse, um, violence against a mother or another household member, um, people who were living in a household with members who were substance abusers or who were mentally ill or suicidal, or, you know, and even imprisoned. Um, they found um, that there was a graded uh, relationship between the number of childhood categories 
and the health risk behaviours, diseases and premature death. For instance, um, they found that those with more than four of these categories had a four to 12 fold increase in health risk behaviours, such as alcoholism, drug and depression and suicidal attempts and a two to four increase in things like obesity and smoking and increase in sexual partners. Um, it also showed a degraded relationship between um, the presence of adult um, disease such as cancer, heart, lung and liver disease and skeletal fractures and, and premature death. So I, I... I'm very familiar, obviously, with the the, the pyramid. And um, for our viewers, you know, it's on the screen in front of you now. But um, looking at the bottom of the pyramid really shows how the children of today could be left with lasting health problems following the challenges of these last five months. You know, when you add up the impacts from the social isolation, the huge break in their schooling, um, the intense fear that many are living with, which um, you know, I know from my own um, my own work really undermines that feeling of safety and security that's so important for children. And then, of course, the financial impacts that um, some of their parents might be having. You know, food banks have never been so necessary, and I know that many families are really struggling to put food on the table. So, if it's so difficult for adults, it must be utterly traumatizing for children. Um, you know. So we look now at trauma and stress and, you know, is there a difference then between general trauma um, and stress and then what's termed adverse childhood experiences? Um, well, there sort of is and there isn't, if you like, Mel. I mean, um, stress is our body's own physiological response to a demand for change and it's functionally a normal part of our everyday life. Um, so the physiological action of stress can increase our focus and energy so we can complete our tasks and, you know, even do things like physical exercise when we're training. And you generally feel that you have some sense of control still in your life. Um, so trauma, on the other hand, is a response to a deeply distressing or disturbing event um, that overwhelms our ability to cope. And we can end up sort of living and reliving the events again and again um, through sort of pattern matching, um, imagination, and even dreams. Mm -hmm. So the, there are sort of different types of trauma. Um, you know, you can have an acute trauma, say from a physical incident, um, maybe an attack or, you know, a car accident or something. Um, or chronic trauma, um, which is sort of like the more prolonged trauma that we see um, in the ACE study, like the violence and um, domestic abuse, those sorts of things. And then, you know, as practitioners, we sometimes see um, complex trauma, you know, some poor individuals who have been exposed to a, a varied and multiple traumatic events, often of an invasive or interpersonal nature. So can you give us a little bit of an idea of what some of the symptoms of stress and trauma might look like, just so that people could recognise um, it more clearly? Yeah, I mean, stress uh, and trauma sort of, they, they cross over, obviously, a little bit, but um, I suppose 
we're going to sort of let put it together where stress and trauma have the same sort of symptoms. We may be looking at anxiety and fear, difficulty in concentrating, um, anger, irritability, and mood swings. I think we've all had these from time to time. Um, whereas when we have um, psychological trauma, um, we really have sort of things like shock and denial and all sort of disbelief. Um, people can end up very confused or end up with emotions of guilt and shame and, you know, self-blame um, and even withdrawing from others and feeling sad and hopeless. And, you know, some will feel even very disconnected and numb. So where they are um, the same um, is that when they're exacerbated, or continuous and triggers of the stress response um, can increase our anesthetic load, um, which is meaning our ability to stay in balance, um, which in turn can lead to both physiological and psychological health problems and is deemed the foundation of many health, health conditions, Mal. Yeah, and, and, and chronic diseases. I know, um, I, I know this only too well. I mean, my own health journey is a fantastic example of what happens when you exceed your anesthetic load and when your body just literally can't take any more. Um, I think, um, I think my, uh, my, my biggest early life trauma probably occurred um, when, I was, when I was about two with a, with a huge separation um, from someone I was very close to. And, um, and I think that that tipped me um, into a deeply insecure place. And um, in, at that time, I had such a big regression um, back into, into babyhood and my parents didn't really know what to do about it. And they, the doctor that they took me to at the time thought that it was a, recognized that it was trauma and thought that it was a good idea to put me on Valium. And mm. I ended up staying on Valium um, from the age of two until um, I was about 13. Oh. And, um, <clears throat> and I think that knowing what I know now about my genetic makeup and understanding that I have methylation problems and detoxification problems, um, as well as other sort of genetic vulnerabilities, I don't think I could cope with dealing with that level of um, pharmaceutical Kind of on um, yeah I have very few childhood memories from that time um, I, I know that I developed a condition called night terrors which you don't um, they were incredibly stressful for my parents and just horrendous what they were going through and I had no recollection in the morning of what it was going on at night which is why they decided to leave the Valium in place and as this was happening i had repeated bouts of um, antibiotics, which, you know, wiped out all of my gut flora. And I basically spent the first 20 years of my life completely um, ill and unwell. And by the time I got into my teenage years, um, I think my immune system was absolutely on the floor. And uh, I then, you know, went from um, glandular fever into scarlet fever and um, into an emergency um, tonsillectomy after after Quincy and it, it was less than 18 months after that before I developed an autoimmune disease and 
when you look back now, you understand that none of the emotional side was addressed. I had all of that onslaught from the pharmaceutical drugs, um, more and more trauma. Um, and the body just gets to a point where it just tumbles down the slippery slope. And mm. that was me at 17 with Graves' disease. So um, I and see it time and time again. And, you know, unfortunately, it's a common pattern. Yes. And, uh, and I think it's, it's a common pattern that we see the pattern. Mm. But, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to really talk about this today is to hopefully, you know, let the people watching realize that there's a pattern to these things and that you can intervene and, and make changes and you really need to intervene, especially if you can see it happening in your children. So course, when, when we were young, um, we didn't have Google and the internet to sort of try and work out what was happening to us. No. Um, so you're sort of very much left in the, the dark and sort of trying to find answers which of course for you know for us I know was quite a it's been quite a long a long journey. Very and of course at that time I was growing up in Zimbabwe and uh, there was no knowledge about nutrition or gut health or no. anything like that at all so you know we were really stumbling around in the dark mm. but um, you know my journey took me down the route of autoimmune disease and um and I, and I think that what often gets overlooked is the deep emotional underpinning to ill health and disease and the need that we need to sort of address this at multiple levels. So I know your journey took you um, down a similar but very different route. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, maybe you can talk a little bit more about some of this emotional underpinning that you get with, um, with disease. Is there anything that um, you might like to share from your own journey to just sort of illustrate um, illustrate this a little bit more? So, yes, I spent um, many years suffering from anxiety and health problems. Um, and when I say health problems, I mean various gut symptoms, and a lot of fatigue. But anxiety was at the core for me. Um, I just found my ability to cope with things was extremely difficult. And um, probably like others, I remember questioning myself as to, to why, you know, you, you sort of get into your teenage years and you're sort of looking as to what, what is it all about um, and try to come up with a satisfactory answer. But of course, um, I looked at things like I knew I came from a broken home and had, you know, quite a few distressing events I remembered, but it didn't really explain just how bad I was feeling I mean it, it, the, the feelings were so intense I, I, I really didn't know what to do with myself and I couldn't concentrate I didn't concentrate at school and in actual fact I didn't do um, well at behaving either when I was younger I suppose um, but I, I did um, discover however that I found a black hole in my memory and where I just couldn't recall anything from the ages from around four to 10 and uh, years old. And as the years went by, I found I was sort of drawn more to different modalities, which really did help me along the way to sort of find, a, I suppose, a, a reason to keep going. So I had a lot of um, help with spiritual teachings um, and, and just got in touch with the right sort of people to sort of work out what 
hopefully I could find was going on. So what I found um, for me is when I, I fell in love with my husband, because and because love is such a powerful emotion, um, although I was happy, I also literally felt terrified of loss. And I found that I was pattern matching um, more and more. It was almost like a horse had bolted, if you like, of emotions coming through. And um, so it, it, was, it wasn't long before I started to delve a lot deeper to try and understand what possibly was happening and did come to the realization that I was responding to emotional memories. And it didn't matter how hard I tried to talk or think things through, I just couldn't contain the pain. And unfortunately, like many, this went on for many years before I was able to find um, someone who could help me with this. And for me at that time, it was a lovely lady who did um, some soul freedom work, which is a bit like journey therapy, where she was able to take me into a very deep state to actually get to those emotional memories and start to work with them on a level which released them so that I would stop getting this terrible feelings. I think, um, you know, what you're saying touches me so deeply because we've all experienced so much pain in our lives. And whilst the pain allows us to grow through it, I my heart goes out to people who don't understand that there is a way to actually heal that and that there are practitioners and health guides and health professionals who really have a deep understanding if you can just recognize within yourself that that's what you need um, and 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 find that and find that help so i really hope that our discussion today allows people to go looking for the help that they really need Mm, yes i do too because it's an awful place to be and really it just impedes so many areas of your life and and it doesn't need to. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? What we're trying to do today is to show that it really doesn't need to. There are ways There are ways of moving forward from this. Absolutely. And I mean, before we start looking at solutions, because obviously we're really solution-based, mm. um, I'd like to just take people through understanding. You've mentioned the term pattern matching. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I'd really like to take people through what that is, because I think that what we're setting up for ourselves at the moment, going through um, the challenges of this pandemic, I think that we're in grave danger of creating a situation of such deep trauma that we're all going to be pattern matching, you know, going forward, and particularly children. Mm, there's definitely a potential for that now, especially if there's a lot of fear base going on. So, how do we recognise it and how do you know if you're in the grip of a sort of pattern recognition response cycle? Um, so I'll explain a little bit about it um, first. Um, we are all born with um, innate knowledge within our DNA um, from which we can learn to get our physical and emotional needs met through recognising patterns in our environment. This gives us the flexibility for us to um, remain safe and the capacity to learn in our ever-changing world. Um, so this means that your brain is continuously searching for patterns through what we 
see, feel, and hear. Um, we can see this instinctive part of brain functioning um, when babies are born and they see first teeth. Um, and also, if we take something really simple like a chair, when we're young, we learn something as a chair. But during our lifetime, we may see hundreds of different types of chairs, colours, patterns, sizes, but we know it's a chair. Um, and also, if we look at the emotional side and how we respond to music, um, when we hear a song, it may take us back to a place or a feeling, person, even love. And it can induce happy or sad feelings. So, you know, when we have trauma, um, usually from our early years, as outlined in the ACE study, um, and even different kinds of trauma, I suppose, later on in life. And as you say, for some of us, um, this pandemic, um, it would have meant that we've recorded some devastating images, feelings, and challenges to our belief system and our safety. Therefore, any subsequent um, pattern recognition response, which I refer to as pattern matching as well, um, the amygdala, which is our alarm fear circuit in the brain, will override our neocortex, which is the thinking brain. And it makes a split second auto response emotions, including severe feelings of um, fear, hurt, intense anger maybe aggression, and also you could feel helpless and some, you know, for some it, you can freeze and even just end up being emotionally numb. At the same time, it sort of initiates the sympathetic nervous um, fight and flight response um, before the neocortex even has any time to overrule it. So we've already, the horse has bolted, if you like, this quick response to emotion stimuli, um, our sense of losing it, was termed amygdala hijacking um, by Daniel Goleman in 1995. That's, that's a really fantastic way of describing it because it, it is a hijack. When you get into that fearful place, you literally lose your higher executive function. You, you, can't, you can't make rational decisions. And... You, you, you know, your frontal cortex, you know, this part of your brain is just, um, is just left out of the equation altogether. So, you know, you can understand why there's a lot of aggression on the streets, yeah. uh, why people are quick to trigger and, um, and why they're not actually able to think clearly um, about their actions. It's, it's quite scary. And it is, it is scary and it's very sad actually in some cases you could argue where you know um, somebody has got into this sort of extreme fear if they came from a, um, an abusive background and end up maybe beating someone to death in that moment. You know we have to sort of look at that question was he thinking about it in those moments and you know I would, I would say if it's um, in some cases no. No. It would be that point where they've had that amygdala hijack and, and their past pattern match, woof, out goes that violence, which is um, gives you that understanding of what may go on. Um, so, yes, I mean, I mean, the sad thing is, Mel, is that unresolved emotional patterns, as I'm talking about, and actually causes chronic stress if we're doing this again and again. 
and may exacerbate uh, and create a certain health and mental health conditions um, which play a detrimental role to our fear circuitry in the brain, resulting in greater chances of this amygdala hijacking. And you can see this when people become hypervigilant, express negative behavioural patterns of their personality, um, seen in anxiety disorders, you know, maybe something like OCD or something. Um, this vicious cycle and generalised anxiety leaves us searching for reasons and answers. And because one of our wonderful innate resources is imagination, um, we can end up ruminating and creating all sorts of explanations as, and potentially exacerbating our negative emotions and start blaming and um, end up with anger and shame and even self-loathing um, and really without any real clarity of cause um, and possibly creating our own miserable world which may be very different to the actual reality. That, that's because you mean, you know, we're just we're just dwelling in our own thoughts and we're we're almost plowing the furrow of those negative thoughts um, and pattern matching deeper and deeper and deeper. And yeah. logically, you're just going there all the time in your brain. Because you have these bad feelings, you obviously can't believe that it mustn't be really bad of the event that's just happened. So if you can understand the pattern match, then, it, you know, it, it is. It is to do with something else. That's why you're forming something which may not be your reality. So how, how do we know if we're pattern matching, if we're stuck in that cycle? So I think, um, you know, when you're feeling more relaxed, um, you can take the time to go into um, your observing self and become curious as to how you may be reacting to certain people and situations. You can start to ask questions to yourself. Are you able um, to see the same old patterns reoccurring? And can you see how and why uh, and when you may be pattern matching? And you know, even can you feel, feel it in your body? And, um, and is it contributing to any of your sort of health problems? I mean, are you being tummy ache or something? Um, you may be having negative behavioural patterns that you recognise, difficult relationships or have developed beliefs. It can be useful um, to play a scene as if it was a friend's story and asking your advice about a situation and, and then you know, think about what you might say. Um, would you think they were overreacting? How would you advise them? You know, that's, that's a good way of looking at it. I, I think that um, I think all of us have a gut instinct about these things too. If we can just stop and take a moment to reflect. And I mean, this is, I know we're going to talk about quiet time and we're going to talk about how we can reflect. But I think you mentioned something, a term there, you said the observing self. And mm -hmm. I'd love you to just say what you mean about that. Um, yeah, I mean, the observing self is... It's not a thought or a feeling, but it's the human mastery to be aware of awareness itself. It's sort of the ability to observe and describe our own behaviours as if they were the actions of someone else. 
and I guess that's something as well that comes with practice. It might be difficult mm. in the beginning. And I know that when people have got a lot of pain on board, there's often a lot of coping strategies in place to mean that you never go into your own thoughts because it's too difficult. And we're, we're asking people to bring that part of themselves um, alive again, really. So, yeah. yeah, it's important. Yes, I think so. And I think if, if you can do this, um, then just recognising um, this through um, going to visualising self can take um, the charge out of the situation uh, and allow yourself to acknowledge it and, and maybe even have some forgiveness there. Um, obviously, while we're doing this, we, we would be really wise to sort of not get caught up in you know, judgment or ruminating more about blame or locked in guilt. I think, you know, we really want to have to sort of try and remember um, that all of us have developed some negative aspects of our personality through coping mechanisms which are acted out in a response to a pattern match. Um, we can see how these are likely to get played out by um, studying the ancient wisdom of the Enneagram. Um, which teaches us how nine different emotional patterns interact with their world to get their needs met and um, forming a their own sort of personality and reality. This is, this is really good for, um, um, for sort of personal development and also understanding um, people around you because you can sort of see how, how people around you are within their spectrum and, and how they can't see things the same as you because they actually have a different set of tools, if you like, going forward. I'm so thrilled that you mentioned the Enneagram because um, it's something I don't know a huge amount about. I've, I've dipped in and out. Obviously, you've talked to me about it for years. I'm absolutely fascinated and I'm now making a mental note that I need to, to, to really get into this again. And I know um, there's some excellent books out on the subject. If, if people want to have a, have a look, what, what would you recommend um, is, you know, is kind of the first place to go? Well, I, I looked at several books and um, I think it's one of those things where because it's about personality, um, it can end up being a little bit labelling. And, and of course, that's not the essence of the wisdom of the ancient um, sort of Enneagram, if you like. So um, the book I really think goes into to detail, but really does help you in the way I think puts you into that mindset of personal growth is Pathways to Happiness by Veronica and Chris Cross. Wonderful. And you can see that on the screen at the moment so that you, anyone who's interested can go and have a look. I, um, it's so important to be able to break this vicious cycle that we, we get into with the pattern matching and the negative thought patterns and then the, and then the behavioral um, tendencies that run as, as uh, you know, alongside that. And I think learning more about ourselves and the way we function and the way we respond to other people and the way other people trigger us is just critical for healing. And so... Mm -hmm. The Enneagram is really useful for that because it allows you to understand yourself at a, you know, at a much deeper level as well um, and, and, and the people around you. 
It does, and it, and it, and it also takes you, um, it does give you that huge understanding, and it also takes you out of judgment. And I think that's very key in relationships is to understand more about where somebody is actually coming from and that they actually can't think the same as you or respond and why they may respond in certain ways um, to a stressor um, and um, that brings empathy as well so it, it's very beneficial for sure. Absolutely empathy is, a, is another critical thing that disappears with the higher executive function when you've been had your amygdala hijacked. Yeah. Um, so if we bring it back, uh, I think what we're talking about is going to be hopefully a revelation for a lot of people. And, um, and I hope they're going to get to the end before they get into Google and start and start looking for, for, <laughs> for extra tools. But can you just come back and let's talk a little bit about the vicious cycle now of this chronic stress that arises out of childhood trauma and then, you know, how that ends up lighting up your brain with brain inflammation and, um, uh, you know, and then how we might cycle from there into various health issues. Yeah, so it's quite a complex subject, but obviously we'll sort of narrow it down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's see. So after the amygdala um, sends a distress signal, um, the hypothalamus activates the um, sympathetic nervous system um, by sending signals through autonomic nerves to our um, adrenal glands. These glands respond by pumping out um, stress hormones such as adrenaline and cortisol into our bloodstream. And these hormones prepare your body for a fight and flight by changing you um, physiologically to deal with the current stressor, which of course might be wanting to run like hell. Um, it does this by increasing your heart rate, elevating blood pressure, increasing your respiratory rate for more oxygen availability, preparing your body for injury or infection um, by releasing um, immune inflammatory cytokines, and boosting your energy levels by increasing uh, your glucose levels. When your body is preparing for survival, other areas are bypassed and pause because they're not deemed important in that moment of urgency. So things like um, digestion is impeded or pause, and so sex and things like thyroid hormones. And the list does go on, unfortunately. Um, it's important to understand um, the relevance of this vicious cycle when emotional stress is the foundation of health problems. In resilient stress responses, there is a feedback loop um, of the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis, the HPA, producing a myriad of finely tuned chemicals, connecting the central nervous, hormonal and immune system um, to maintain something called allostasis, which is our balance. This mechanism is fundamental to our survival responding to changing conditions by sending messages back and forth to protect us from any internal or external threats. Because this is a sort of survival mechanism, it would do it regardless of cost. So therefore, resilience is vital. If anesthetic mediators are overacted, improperly regulated, or poorly terminated, 
or anesthetic capacity gets overloaded. Then rather than protecting you, a series of cascading imbalances and loss of function in multiple systems can emerge, resulting in a myriad of symptoms such as fatigue, hypo, hyperglycemia, high blood pressure, cholesterol, and obesity, cause these are just a few again. And there are a multitude of health issues that result from these childhood traumas we've been talking about and this loss of resilience, which includes inflammatory and autoimmune conditions and the brain inflammation that you've alluded to um, in yourself and in the um, past videos that you've been doing, which unfortunately, um, with each trauma-related pattern recognition response, deepens this inflammatory cascade and declining one's own physical and mental health. I know, thank you. You're really helping to put some meat on the bones that um, I introduced in the brain health video. And I hope that many people are having some aha moments um, as we talk. There's been an awful lot written about the gut-brain connection and, um, and some of the health conditions that you've talked about um, obviously have got the gut um, as, a, as a critical core there as well. So I think before we move on, we should just talk a little bit about that gut-brain connection and, um, and you know, why it's so, so critical here with, when we're talking about emotions and stress. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the gut-brain access is a bi-directional link between our cognitive and emotional centers in the brain and with our peripheral intestinal functions, which kind of makes a sense of the term gut feeling, you know, and we often have that gut feeling where we go, oh, you know, I felt something, or, um, you know, we say, we sort of bounce it around, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, so interesting enough, our gut um, houses 70% of the cells of our immune system, making it um, an important part of the matrix for why and how to manage our inflammation and a wide range of health conditions. Our first line of defense is our, um, our barriers, such as our skin, wet tissues, and stomach acid. Our wet tissues include our whole gastrointestinal tract from our mouth to our anus, um, which includes our respiratory and urinary tract, as well as our blood-brain barrier. Um, which of course it was always there to prevent things getting through, forming our mucosal immunity. Absolutely. And, um, you know, one of the things that I discussed as well is that once you've got mucosal problems and you've got leaky barriers, one, you, you know, you get a leaky gut barrier, you're more than likely to have a leaky blood brain barrier as well, which obviously is something really undesirable. So, yeah. you know, this is hugely illuminating. And, um, you know, this pattern matching for traumas um, can really just ignite an entire suite of actions and reactions every time they're triggered. And so, you know, you can see how this vicious spiral occurs and, um, and how people are just stuck in this cycle. And uh, our bodies are our bodies are desperately trying to cope. Uh, yeah, yes. yeah I, I I know. So um, when we have stress chemistry from the pattern match, as you say, 
um, to trauma, or a life event, an injury or infection, um, or even depressed with fear-based thoughts, um, the innate immune system um, is activated to defend us at any cost. It's a bit like um, shooting first and asking questions later. Um, it's kind of funny um, how our immune system works in similar ways to our brain, um, in that upon um, recognition of a danger, um, which is an attack, injury, or tissue damage, or stranger um, as a pathogen or toxin, the amplifier and mediator of the inflammatory process called NF-kappa B is um, activated by cellular pattern recognition receptors, which trigger an inflammatory cascade. NF-kappa B um, assists in the regulation and the generation of a specialized group of immune cells called CD4 and T cells to differentiate between helper regulatory cytotoxic or memory cells. Um, the reason I'm sort of saying and uh, bringing this to your attention is um, that chronic stress and inflammation diminishes T helper type 1 cell, which is TH1, and depletes our most protective and non inflammatory immune marker, secretory IgA. Both are um, important defenders against invaders. Unfortunately, increasing our um, vulnerability to intracellular viral and bacteria load, um, intracellular meaning that they live and depend on the um, host of the um, cell, so it's within the cell, for survival. Um, and the delivery of luminal antigens, and antigens being a foreign mo molecule um, which induces an immune response, um, across the um, intestinal epithelial lining to the immune system through um, the development of increased gut permeability that you mentioned, and leaky gut. And um, also with that, the translocation of these bacteria and yeast and um, viruses, as well as their toxins such as lipopolysaccharides, um, LPS for sure, um, which I think you mentioned in your last uh, video as well, causing um, colonic microinflammation and visceral hypersensitivity, as seen in such conditions as IBS, IBD, food sensitivities, etc. And we know that there are, you know, a lot of that because we see that as um, practitioners. And of course, as well, this increases the burden of our detoxification systems. Absolutely. So um, for people who didn't see the brain um, inflammation video yet, um, translocation of bacteria just means the movement of your gut bacteria out of the gut and into the body cavity where they start then blowing around. And obviously, if your blood brain barrier is leaky as well, one of the biggest problems that we've got is some of these um, incredible endotoxins that come from these bacteria called lipopolysaccharides or LPS actually flooding into the brain um, and causing problems there. And, um, and I, I, I know that section was quite sciencey and there's, um, there's quite a lot of terminology in there, but I think it's really important. Um, you can play it back and listen to it again if the terms aren't familiar to you, but I think it's really important to just have some understanding 
of the physiological changes that are occurring internally and all these reactions that are being triggered um, by, by our emotions because so many, um, so many times and also, also with conventional medicine, there's not a really close connection, there's not an acknowledgement always there of how our emotions actually impact our, our physical bodies and why function um, in, you know, can, be, can be impaired um, and damaged um, by, by our emotions. Yeah. So, um, it's, really, it's really great that you're taking us through this again. And I hope you can just take us a little bit deeper into talking about these different immune cells, particularly mm -hmm. now at this time when we all need to understand so much more about how our immune systems function. Yes, of course, there's been a lot of talk about T cells um, as well, hasn't there? So um, to continue with this, um, the, when the Th1 cell types are depleted, um, as they do with chronic stress, Th2 um, is increased, which the T helper cell too. Um, and the Th2 cell, when they get activated, either through um, dysregulation or when the bigger guns are needed for something like extracellular parasites. Um, so these are, um, don't invade the cells and still, instead they proliferate in the body fluids, which we've been talking about really soon. Then there's an increased production of um, mucus and antigens. And um, TH, the Th2 response is going to lead to um, a loss of tolerance because of this. Um, that can cause conditions such as asthma, allergy, sinusitis, urinary tract infection, and uh, upper respiratory infections. So um, anyone who has these types of illnesses are likely to have a link between um, dysbiosis, which is a sort of this bacteria imbalance, leaky gut, and Th2 dominance. So, so it's very much um, how you know, your, your gut and your imbalance in your gut can then be impacting your whole immune system. And yeah. we need yeah. our immune systems to be functioning in a robust and resilient way at the moment as well. Yeah. I know, and of course, if you have chronic stress and this loss of this Th1, and now have dysbiosis, leaky gut and associated conditions indicating Th2 dominance, that's going to initiate another specialised defence cell called TH17. And that is recognised to contribute to the development of autoimmune through their pro-inflammatory um, cytokines causing tissue damage. And of course, you know, we've seen, you've seen that pattern um, through chronic stress and how that may have brought you to that. Um, exactly. And I, and... The one thing I just want to say at this point is that I, people who are unfamiliar with the science behind all this might be thinking, I can't take this on board, I'm, it's too overwhelming thinking how everything's working. And I just wanted to say that nature is amazing and our bodies are miraculous. And if you put good things in place in terms of diet and lifestyle changes and you do the right things there, your body will take care of these steps. You don't have to be thinking about all of them. It's just important to know the steps that go out of whack um, when we're not taking the right lifestyle choices. And when we do the right things, our body's kind of sorted out for us. And, you know, I'm a, 
I'm a walking advert for that because I did in three months what I couldn't do in 25 years. And mm. my body, when I finally put the right things in place, my body just went, oh, and, and literally, and, and I've had my thyroid removed as well. That was taken out when I was 20. And so I'm even, I'm even more vulnerable because I've lost my master controller and my body could still fix itself. So mm. that ought to make people feel a lot, um, a lot more hopeful about things. Yeah, well, you're a great example. You're a great example of what we can do, aren't you, for sure. And, um, you know, as we're saying about this, this sort of vicious cycle that, um, you know, if, if you get into a situation where you're in this inflammatory response, then we find that inflammation and autoimmunity can end up activating each other. So anything that turns it on in this cascade, like the high stress or the trauma or related psychological illness, has the potential to turn on this autoimmune flare um, and can lead to increased um, tissue damage and spreading, which they, is called epitopes um, spreading. And, you know, has the potential to increase autoimmune conditions and and also, it's just, it can change the set point for someone. So, it, it, you know, someone with autoimmune, I think it's important to, to recognize that, oh, I, can't, I, I can go and do this, that, and the other and completely turn all on my inflammatory responses. Um, and I'll go back to that set point where I was. But, you know, that doesn't always happen. And I think being aware of that is important too. That's, that's, that's very true. And it's why it takes a bit of time for our bodies to come back into balance again mm. um, when, when we do start doing the right things. So um, I, I'm not going to go over it again now, but in terms of the brain information, if anyone's interested in that, um, as I said, you can find the video um, in the video section on our website or on ANH International's channel on YouTube. And um, we've talked quite a lot um, in this about autoimmune disease as well. There's a number of articles on our website about that. And I did do a presentation um, in February on how to put the fire of inflammation out with autoimmune disease. And you can find that um, in the shop on our website, anhinternational.org as well. Um, so Leone, you've laid a fantastic breadcrumb trail for us to look at how trauma and stress, you know, creates a foundation for ill health to prosper. But um, can we dive into some solutions now? Because kind of we're understanding what to do about it and we've got everyone standing on the edge of the cliff. How do we move back from the cliff edge and, um, and get ourselves back into the meadow again? Yeah, well, I suppose, you know, my journey took me in many different directions. Um, it's a bit like having a jigsaw with a thousand pieces without being, having a completed picture or framework. Um, so yes, now I've got a bit of a framework. I hope I can help. Um, <laughs> The two main disciplines that I, I went for were um, functional medicine and human giving, as both utilise science to form a systems-based biology approach, meaning understanding the larger picture and putting the pieces together, with the emphasis on understanding what our innate needs are and how to use the resources in nature that they've given us um, to remain in balance and harmony. 
So, um, so human givens, um, which we, you know, you mentioned, and I think want to know a little bit more about, um, evolved through um, looking at all different types of psychology and putting together the aspects that um, they deem to work, um, including the development develop, development of um, the APEC model, which is this activating or understanding this activating agent pattern match and emotion followed by the thought, you know, the, having that in a sequence so you understood how, how that, why and how that's happening. Um, and how individuals can actually get their own needs met. So it's very much about focusing outwards and trying to help someone move forward um, in a step-by-step -step approach. Um, so, these so the innate needs include things like security, which of course we're really having our security rattle at the moment, um, attention, um, which is like to give and receive, and we all like to have that, um, a sense of autonomy and control, and of course that's been affected at the moment because obviously we like to have control of our environment, what's happening, um, emotional intimacy, um, feeling part of a large large community and I think um, you know I think we've probably gone away a bit from from that in in certain areas which is which is a shame and a sense of um, status within social groupings this doesn't mean say you have a have to have be a chief it just means that you um, people recognize your part you know even in a workplace it's even about somebody recognises what how you contribute to that whole thing happening, um, and a sense of competence and achievement. So, and a meaning and purpose. So, striving forward, we all need to feel that we've got a reason to get up in the morning, and that our lives mean something, and that we're making a difference. Or whether it's just looking after, you know, your child or um, even pet. It's having that meaning, isn't it, and a purpose. Wow, that's. Um... That is, that's so profound when you look at that list of what mm. we actually need to mm. function as healthy human beings. And then yeah. you how many of those areas are being hugely affected by what we're all going through at the moment. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's, the, that's the point. You can see the correlation of what's happening at the moment from where our needs, um, how our needs um, are being affected but also how we may be having a um, pattern match um, response to that fear element as well. And um, so the combination is, is making people feel very un, um, unsettled. So it's, um, it's always good to remember um, that each step you take reveals a new horizon. Um, so when you're looking at this list, um, See what you can do, even if it's just connecting with friends or joining a group on, you know, in person or online, or starting a short course. And um, so, yes. Um, then, from a functional um, medicine perspective, I suppose I, I am hoping that you can now see um, that reducing stress levels is key to restoring this allostatic balance. Um, I mentioned, and um, one of the most effective and useful techniques for this is diaphragmatic breathing, um, which allows the parasympathetic nervous system to dominate once again. 
And this is where we have our rest and digest. We, we do this with a timed breathing routine where the focus is on the out-breath being longer, um, which works best really at seven to 11. But of course, if you're really um, too stressed and are over-breathing um, and have hyperventilation, um, then you may need to start at count at five to nine or three to seven. So if you do a big sigh, well, you know, you can see immediately how your shoulders drop and um, feel the relaxation response kicking in. And um, so this can work really well in, in uh, situations where you can't run out the door like this. <laughs> I don't mean that, Mel. <laughs> um, or, being, or being on a, being stressed in a crowded place on a train or a plane. Um, so the best thing to do is to breathe out first and um, to be curious of your body's response. Um, so you can try and do that if you like, alongside Ian, just sort of... I am, I am. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> And then just allow yourself to feel your shoulders dropping. And um, then just guide yourself through your body. Observing how it's responding on the out-breath. Acknowledge the position of your feet and your back against the chair. And maybe feeling the warmth of your seat and whether your hands are feeling warm, cold or tingling. Basically, by focusing inwards, you are taking the attention away from the stressful situation. Did you feel that? Oh, it changes, it changes everything completely. And I know my life is too busy and there's too much in it. And the, honestly, the, the change that's just come over me it's a good reminder again to stop and just have those minutes because you only have to do it for a few times you know at varying points during the day exactly. how long was that yes <laughs> that's i know that's perfect <laughs> and of course you know we're in such sometimes you know there's been situations definitely for me when you're particularly wired and and that's hard and um and if you, if you don't expect and um, suspect you've got cardiovascular disease um, or haven't got cardiovascular disease, then using up the energy produced by that, those stress chemicals with a quick, intense burst of physical exercise, um, like running 100 meters or running on the spot, um, or even my favorite was to put on a song and dance wildly, uh, you know, <laughs> and actually, they do that with the functional medicine training. I think they, they know we're all sitting there thinking, oh my God, goodness, with this information stress. And every now and again, they'll put on some music. We'll have to get up and go crazy. <laughs> but, it, <laughs> but it's amazing how that brings you back um, down into homeostasis again, that balance. Absolutely. <laughs> and um, there, there is nothing like dancing and singing and just, you know, switching out from whatever place you're in and giving mm. your brain that 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 break to disconnect the amygdala as well no that's right 
And um, so, you know, just going back to this, I, I mentioned earlier that cortisol increases uh, glucose for energy. And when there's chronic stress, it does this by breaking down proteins into glucose via our liver. And uh, the pancreas then pumps out insulin um, to get the glucose into the cells for that energy. And of course, once those cells are full, they're trying to protect themselves um, by becoming more resistant. So they're saying, we've more, more, too much. And uh, the excess sugar is then converted into fat. And um, in simple terms, that is. And we can see that the effects of this happening when we gain that belly fat. And uh, we start to lose a bit of muscle, which we can see maybe on our arms and legs more easily. And of course, as this vicious cycle continues, then our belly expands um, with this increased belly fat, which is sort of like visceral fat, it's called, um, which secretes um, molecules that increase inflammation. And uh, of course, that vicious cycle again, and of course, this in turn can lead to things like diabetes and metabolic disorders. Absolutely. I, I, I sort of refer to it as the cortisol tire because um, it's, a very, it's a very specific reaction. And people who are predisposed to, um, to putting on weight and having this kind of um, evidence of your metabolic dysfunction, I am one of those people. Um, honestly, that cortisol tire can go on in a matter of days. And yeah. uh, if, if you're not aware of it, um, you just end up becoming a victim of your metabolic disorder. And, you know, the more insulin resistance, the more you crave sugar, um, the more you're hyper, the less you sleep better, the more you put on a cortisol tire. And it just shows how your dietary and lifestyle choices have such an enormous impact. Um, yeah. And, and I'm so glad that you mentioned the dancing and the exercise as well, because um, often that gets forgotten. And mm -hmm. any sort of program, particularly for anti-stress, there's got to be some physical activity. Um, our bodies need to kind of go wild and burn a bit of energy as well. So it's finding a way that you can bring that back. And as mm -hmm. you say, it can be going wild to a single song. It can be... Yeah running to the corner and back um we've got a great video where um um our, our founder of anh international rob for kirk has actually demonstrated um sort of a, a you know three sessions of hit to actually increase your mitochondrial energy factors in your cells to actually so you lay down more mitochondria and you have better mitochondrial mm -hmm. function that would work brilliantly as well that's in our video too oh excellent mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, um, tell us now we've got, you know, I, I can, I, I know the stress response is going to play a part now in, um, in seeing how we can sort of take that, um, take that down. And yeah, um, as you can see now, the problem occurs when we, we have this ongoing stress chemistry um, causing dysregulation in cortisol, the HPA and inflammation leading to you know, a whole myriad of symptoms that we've been just sort of discussing, which the weight gain is one. And of course, that goes on with the blood sugar imbalance and the inflammation to be causing, you know, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. And um, of course, you mentioned thyroid conditions and um, we have the muscle wasting and we can see that body shape. And um, of course, then in, as we get older, 
Um, poor memory is a, is a big thing. And of course, it can start to show its um, ugly head even in your 30s and 40s. And, uh, and we even then start to say, is it a senior moment? But of course, I think really at that stage, it's a warning sign. And even, you know, in your going on to your 50s, you should be seeing it's a warning sign that you need to be looking at your health. Um, so, um, so controlling blood sugar and supporting healthy bacteria through diet is definitely something you can start to be doing from home um, with some very easy steps, which um, to begin with, just start over the next 10 days, for instance, um, reducing the things that raise blood sugar and cortisol, which is like tea, coffee and uh, alcohol, which is sort of only stimulants and then sugar soda drinks even because uh, even um, sugar replacements have shown in studies to affect this uh, blood sugar regulation mm. and um, also reducing sugars and refined carbohydrates which is your white flour and rice and excess fruits now obviously fruits is a healthy food but if it's in a concentrated form in a juice or we have too many dried fruits, um, then it is also going to raise blood sugar, unfortunately. And we need to do this um, at the same time as eating regular meals, um, eating lean proteins such as chicken, fish, eggs, dairy, um, nuts and seeds, tofu, beans and lentils. And obviously that does include some healthy fats there as well. And also to accompany that with five to nine portions of uh, vegetables day, daily. Um, as the, the diversity of foods is especially um, important for gut flora and health. I, I couldn't agree more. We, you know, we are what we eat, but we are also what we manage to assimilate from that. And um, diversity, getting as much diversity in our diets is very important. It's one of the things that we've lost. And because food is information that actually tells your body how to behave, we really need to make sure that we put the right starting um, information in. And um, there's loads of, uh, we've, we've got a lot of um, information on healthy eating for metabolic flexibility in particular mm. on our website in the Food for Health campaign. And um, I'd like to just say as well that it's not as hard as people might think to affect quite a significant metabolic change when you change your, the way you eat. So changing the way you eat to what you describe and uh, what we um, illuminate in our Food for Health campaign, literally in a matter of weeks, you, mm. you, start to see, you will start to see changes because ultimately our bodies really strive to be well and um, they strive to be in balance. And you only have to put things in, in, in place to, to see how quickly your body will sort of jump into that so we've um in terms of solutions we've definitely got what you put in in terms of the food that you're eating um mm. restorative sleep um as a priority um some digital detoxing and um and physical activity and there are many more but that's sort of the basis wouldn't you agree of um of a great diet and lifestyle prescription for for stress yeah, and of course, doing, doing some physical activity and um, balancing your blood sugar um, and doing maybe things that bring down um, these stress chemicals 
does actually in turn help you sleep. So that's an important um, part of um, sort of putting things together to get well, if you like. Um, it's important to sort of just mention that in those first few days as you're changing the diet, you may have some um, feel more fatigued and may get the odd ache or headache, um, but this passes quite quickly. And um, and then I suppose it's it's a it's a different time frame from one person to another when you start to feel better. But it really isn't long. Uh, you know, it's very rare you see it beyond two two weeks, isn't it? Now? Absolutely. And I think one of the things that we haven't um, we haven't mentioned is about um, making sure that you drink enough water. That's yeah when you're going through that shift drink yeah. at least a liter and a half of fresh mm. clear water that isn't mixed with anything really yeah. helps the body body flush through some of the um some of the toxins and the chemicals and things that you're releasing that do give you the headaches so, yeah and of course you know having if you've got um body fat it does store a lot of those toxins and as you're, as you're losing that then there's always that potential um to, to have a health symptoms from that um, so it's always it's always good to be careful in that sort of situation to do things at a at a nice steady pace i agree absolutely for sure so um any last words on managing our vicious cycle yes well i suppose managing this vicious cycle when it becomes entrenched with health complica complications can be tricky and often needs the guidance of a functional medicine trained nutritional therapist and, a psycho and psychological support from a counsellor, from which there are many different approaches, but like the human givens I, I mentioned. And um, in order to um, prevent the amygdala hijacking that I, I talked about, which will be particularly important for those who are suffering from a trauma and really recognize this as a detrimental part of their lives, um, then you'll need to engage with um, a therapist such as a human givens practitioner um, who's been trained in techniques, um, which is called the trauma rewind, to change the perception of the tr um, traumatic emotional memory into a normal memory. And this is achieved um, in, a, in, a, in a deep sort of relaxed state and by rela releasing the trapped trauma from the amygdala um, where presently it can only be re-experienced in some sensory forms such as the anxiety, panic um, or fear um, in that amygdala hijacking we talked about and then converting it into a narrative so that when you have, um, you sort of go through that memory that um, amygdala hijacking is prevented it doesn't happen anymore it's, it's um, being disassociated which is uh, which is a, i mean it's, it, that's the definition of freedom for me because really, <laughs> really rip of of this kind of emotional trauma that's so deeply embedded from such a long time ago mm -hmm. you don't have emotional freedom and um and your body is um is in service to that and I, I, I love the, you know, I love the whole way that Human Givens goes about this as well. I'd like to just say that, think about what I mentioned before about um, plowing this furrow with your thoughts and making the patterns even deeper. And my experience has been that 
some talk therapies plough your furrow deeper and you're not actually combining that with other changes in terms of diet and lifestyle or techniques as employed by human givens, um, you can actually make your pattern matching a lot stronger and and have the opposite effect. Yeah, I think I think that's that's always a difficulty um, with um, someone who's got trauma is that if you if you say if you are um, talking about those and it's trapped in that amygdala, then of course all you're doing is having that. Um, stress response to it the whole time and you know unless the practitioner has um, tools and mechanisms to deal with that then of course um, it could just take things into a more entrenched state and you see some people spend years with the therapist going nowhere which obviously is it's more of a dependency of seeing someone rather than a resolution. Um, so I do urge anyone who's, who, when they're listening to this, recognizing themselves in this, this sort of pattern match situation, um, because we all have a degree of that, but it's just when it's related to trauma, we're highlighting um, that vicious cycle, um, that you find, find a practitioner near you. And if, if you can't find a human defense practitioner, then you could look at something like EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. I've never done that, but um, it does have some good data on it too. Um, so it, it's a, it's an option in the, in those cases. Absolutely, thank you. Well, you know the solutions that we've talked about today. We particularly talked about ones that you can be employing at home, um, self care and without the need for um, other practitioners, which can be challenging at this time. Mm. Um, you can see the links on your screen and we'll put them, um, they'll be underneath in the YouTube channel as well about how to find a practitioner that, um, that will be able to help uh, of the, of the, on the lines that we've talked about today. Leonie's details will be up there as well. And won't they, Leonie? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> But um, I think if you've got, have you got any last thoughts before we, uh, we close out today? Well, I, I just really hope that um, just understanding some of those mechanisms, and as Mel said, even if you need to go over it a few times, I think, you know, you don't have to become an expert. I think it's just getting it um, to, to know that the key is always to, to find those ways. But for you... Um, is to bring down that, um, those stress chemicals. And, you know, and there's many different ways of doing that um, in a lot of therapies out there. And whatever works for you at the end of the day is important um, because that is the main thing is to get those stress chemicals down. And then obviously when you do that with diet and balancing that blood sugar, which helps to keep that balance as well, um, then you will feel your anxiety drop. And, and that in itself helps you to move forward and even get into that observing self. Absolutely. And my last words, um, oh, I do, I do love the fact, I'm going to just mention that um, Leonie has been spending lockdown in South Africa, um, which is very dear to my heart. And we've just watched um, 
a lizard go down the wall behind you. I which, know, I could see it in the corner of my eye. I did <laughs> for a moment, I thought, is it a lizard or is it a big spider? No, no, it, <laughs> it was a lizard. And you know what? You know, lizards are the keepers of the dream time. The dream time is what we've been talking about, is going yeah. into our dream time and releasing what we've got held in there. And I think it's amazing that nature's just sent us um, a sign. And so, so just a reminder that actually, you know, we could go on talking for ages, but just being in nature, yes. even that just makes you feel so much better. So even just going out and getting into the open and spending time, just looking, just looking at the trees and the beautiful flowers or the birds, you know, look, focusing outwards, looking out is really good as well. So, yeah, that's perfect. That's exactly what that's exactly where I was going to leave it is just to talk about nature and nature came and spoke to us. So um, please, everyone, go outside, get yourself grounded on the earth, have some barefoot time on the earth if you can and um, and be amongst the trees and um, just be amongst nature in general. Leonie, thank you so much for your time today. Um, it's, it, it, it's amazing. You, 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 done so much on this subject area you've um, you've done so much in in healing your your own life as well and i really hope that we've that we've moved people into into a different more hopeful place um yeah. change is possible so, so thank you thank you thanks